Hello and welcome. I am Jay Sibylla Smith, the creator of Got Punctum. I host conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I utilize my trademarked framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered as it moves from an abstract idea into a concrete object. Thank you for joining me. You may find an archive of my over 70 episodes on my website, jsibillasmith.com. You will also find specifics on how to work together and examples of my experience as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. Please connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage in a global visual culture conversation. Today, I host and celebrate the groundbreaking work of Carney Ariely, who turned an Instagram platform, the I Mama Project, into a collective voice by creating a global visibility chain. Women and non-binary people who identify as photographers and mamas use photography to document their authentic truths, providing images that capture the real experiences of mothering in all its complexity. The book, I Mama, introduces the mama gaze to reveal and explore the realities of the monumental job of raising a human. The mama gaze looks beyond the constraints of social and cultural norms and narrow patriarchal constructs. This book embraces the power of representation and expands the conversation on the occupation of caring. For care, as book essayist Clorinde Peters notes, is the foundational labor upon which all other labor rests. Carney and I cover all of this. I'm so glad you're here. Let's begin. So I am so excited to welcome Carney Ariely. She is a photographer, a filmmaker. She's half of the directing duo Sulky Bunny. And she has given us a treasure that comes out in real life a week from when we're recording. I Mama, a poetic, the, the subtitle, Poetic Truths of Home and Motherhood. I am so excited about this. What began as a call out on Instagram has garnered 50,000 submissions from over 50 countries. Women and non-binary mamas share the light and dark moments of parenthood. The Instagram platform and this book constitute a formation of a collective eye, giving visibility to the undercurrent, the unsaid, the unshared, the unrepresented and unpaid realities of caregiving and growing a human. I've been talking with women adding to this foundational shift 
I've spoken with Hetty Judah on Mother Artists, Diana Carlin on Undo Motherhood, and Jessica Todd Harper on photographing the life of her family. There is a steady drumbeat, this different voice, the visual voice of Mother Artists on Mothering. Annie Wang eloquently wrote the essay in I, Mama, and I'll paraphrase her, as she wrote, artful interpretations of motherhood for millennia have been through the eyes of men. The cumulative effects of pervasive patriarchy, quote, negates subjectivity, end quote. She goes on, the particularity and diversity of real motherhood experiences are, another quote, ruthlessly ignored. In Annie's series, The Mother as a Creator, and her follow-up series, My Son and I, at the same height, she wrote about systematically taking back the right of interpreting motherhood to reproduce myself, maintain myself, and explore myself. I love her pregnant body at the beginning of the series when she wrote on her belly, my belly, my body. We swim in the matters of these learned codes that structure our understanding. Lou Stoppard described these as divide as are limiting divisions and habits of thinking as she reviewed a trilogy of new books under the the overall title Family Snaps in the latest edition of Aperture. She wrote about women photographers exploring, provoking their lives and experiences. Mundane, surreal, magical, terrifying, repetitive, relentless, miraculous, and infuriating. Labor does not begin to describe it. There is a siren call out to create, collect, and convey the realities of childbearing and raising the human. Breaking free of the rigidity of social norms or patriarchal interpretations. This new vision revises the narrative of care and parentship to be closer to the truth. It is not a single gendered experience, but a shared human responsibility. I love a few of the things Carney says in her piece. After all, we are not all mamas, but we were all children. And we get happy by sharing truthful images. So welcome, Carney. I can't wait to dig in. And when I got whiff of iMama, I was like, I got to find this woman. I track you down and yeah, to talk because this is my jam. Thank you for making iMama. It's another baby. (laughs) It totally is my third baby. And uh, yeah, it's just come into the world. Yesterday I got the first copy and I thought I was going to feel one thing, but I felt everything. And Mm. I think in a way I felt everything and numb at the same time. So, you know, it's been a long three-year journey and I think it reflects 
the mama gaze the way I felt when I held the mama gaze. You know, it's got that um, thing about it, that duality. And but I am so glad to hold it. Uh, I'm mm. glad. I'm glad it exists now. Yes, and also, you know, what you're describing is um, a lot of the feelings that birthing brings, right? A cacophony. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that juxtapose, that mix. And actually, I think all iconic, meaningful moments in life are a juxtapose. There is no one feeling. It is always complicated. It is always a mix of light and dark, you know, you can't have one without the other in photography, in art, in love, in death. It's all mm-hmm. complex. And to think of it any other way would be minimizing it, uh, you know, cliching it. I think that's the whole beauty of emotions is they're the whole mix, the whole, the whole package, you know, and we should embrace that more, I think, the duality. Absolutely. I know that you uh, quoted Sally Mann in the beginning of the book, who also tries to to speak to that. And it's interesting because I think I get clearer and clearer. It's a tough um, articulation in the sense that I felt this when I was talking to Hetty and talking to Diana, when you're trying to hold at bay the waters that we just discussed we're swimming in, it is very, very challenging. And there are moments when I get so clear and then you kind of get washed away in a tsunami again, and then you come up with a little bit more clarity because duality is it and holding it is it. And how often we try to oversimplify And it's just so ridiculous. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think in particular artists and artists, women that I've been meeting more and more of over these last three years, you know, we feel things deeply. We look at things deeply and it's always been seen as a disability to feel too much. We are too much. We think too much. We feel too much. Women are too much. Artists are too much. Mothers are too much. And I'm actually thinking, what if we flip the narrative? What if it's not too much? What if everything else is too little? Mm. What if it's just enough? What if to be better humans and interconnect, you need to be able to put yourself in someone else's skin. You need to have nerves on the outside of your body. You need to cry from other people and from sorrow and from joy. You need to feel everything deeply and then learn from it and evolve and you know and I suffer from it but I also grow from this kind of um, extraordinary ability to empathize and feel a lot of artists women do a lot of mothers do a lot of parents do carers do and you know, as they say, you could make your weakness your strength. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that will be the most magical thing you can do, Um, flipping that narrative, using it. And in a way, the mama gaze and I mama is exactly tapping into that. The struggle and the junction that was my motherhood and my artistry became a reflection and connection to other people's artistry Mm -hmm. and motherhood and care. And you know, and from that, this body of work grew as a collective vision, in mm-hmm. a way. Yes. And actually, it's so interesting. It is a collective vision. And and our 
And I agree flipping the narrative because basically the Kool-Aid that we all are drinking or have drunk is that it's a weakness when it's actually our strength. Um, I'm on this bandwagon as well. When you look at things, uh, I go back to the theory of rhizomatic thinking, Deleuze and Gutierrez, in terms of our strength being our interconnectivity, like the rhizome. Carl Jung wrote about this. And this idea that our our world vision is based on this vertical hierarchy of good, better, best, when that's actually bullshit. It's like, sorry, no good way to be a human, no easy way to be a human, no check the boxes hearts. It's just, I mean, it's actually comical, but it's also so infuriating. And so it's actually claiming our power, that that is a superpower. Um, I go back to, I don't know, this is an older book, but Carol Gillian wrote about this. Her book was called In a Different Voice, and it was literally looking at psychology because we tend to hierarchically value rationality over something else, which is actually not over, but equal to. Yes, you need rationality, but you also need the irrational and the idea that you can cry for other people, right? That it isn't this individualism that drives us, but actually our connectivity. So that's why when I say that it's a hard, um, like, I don't know whether to call it splunking, like we're going in a cave or, you know, making a tunnel, but to be in there, you really have to push aside so much. And then when you see how ridiculous it is, it's, it's this really huge movement. I'm fascinated by it. Absolutely. And I tell you what else, I've drunk the Kool-Aid myself because what I found making this project is I wanted to be removed. I wanted to think clearly. I wanted to have my man hat on. I wanted to have my business suit on and all these old fashioned, old school concepts that I didn't even want to believe in. Mm. I don't want to put my man hat on. Where's my woman hat? Where's my female, my mama hat? No, I never wore those. Why was I searching for that hat? Why was that better? Why was that more valued? Because I've been breathing it in the ether all my life in the air, you can't avoid it. So changing the narrative means digging further and and also convincing yourself that it's worthy. Like it comes first of all from, I think, starting with your own beliefs and your own perspective of the world, you know, whether it's through storytelling or through holding your camera or sharing your stories of vulnerability and through that connecting to others and then empowering them and yourself because it takes time and this change does take time, will take time, and it's not overnight that big concepts like this can change Mm -hmm. where, you know, care will be valued or motherhood stories will be seen or truth will be shared. But every little bit is a little bit more towards it. And, you know, that will be. Well, and also the whole idea that, um, excuse me, isolation is inherent in the caregiving of an infant. Um, And this idea that the actual action of your call out into the social media world connected, connected across continents, um, language, and um, this idea that 
it's the strength is in our connectivity and the way we get to it is stringing these stories together and making that visible. And I I really love something that you said, because it seems like um, interweaving what photography has been for you um, and then having that intersect with your own um, having a family, you discussed um, or described photography as a superpower. Yeah. Could you say more about that? I loved that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, every time I've been sick, or had children, you know, which were the most powerful, exhausting, crazy times of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the beginning of pandemic, I had quite bad sickness. I think it might have been COVID and the two births of my two boys that I had. Whenever I started recovering, you know, two or three weeks into the illness or post-birth, you know, after I was bleeding and exhausted and in recovery and everything, I would reach towards the camera uh, as a tool to document. And when my hand reached towards the camera, I realized I was gonna be okay. Because you don't document and you don't look at yourself from an outside point of view if you're in a grave state of being, if you're dying, if you're, you can only do that if your strength is building. And so in some ways it's empowering to document yourself and to own the narrative and tell your own story because it means you've got the power to do so. And a kind of that introspective look is the power. And so it would be this kind of hint to me, especially with my second child, oh, I'm in recovery because now I've started taking pictures again and documenting my kids and myself. And it's like my artist being has reawakened beyond the survival being because you're not going to make art in survival first you have to survive you're going to have to breathe right and then you're going to make the art so um I feel like you know that was a, a really telling thing for me and and then I thought you know when women started sharing with me on the platform and I mama project and generally through the dms and all the women who slowly connected with me I saw how powerful it was that they were sharing their stories with me because um, they were using this global uh, language, a visual language, Mm -hmm. you know, of light and dark, of storytelling through photography worldwide of something that's so common, that's so everyday, but yet so unseen. And I was receiving these stories in the form of photographs and then curating them in the feed and interacting with them and other people were seeing them. And then the onward chain, you know, an article would be written and they would showcase it and onwards and onwards in this kind of endless visibility cycle. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of the night, some of these women would get very intimate because the borders weren't very, very strict, the the limitations and everything was a bit more fluid, especially in lockdown. Mm-hmm. You know, women and mothers and artists were all connecting through photography on iMama Project. And we were also personally connecting as friends and, you know, communicating. There wasn't that separation, which I liked and was more possible at the beginning. And then they would say to me in the middle of the night, one of the mothers from Australia, I remember saying to me, she was like, I feel so powerless I feel so weak I'm awake in the middle of the night breastfeeding my child and I have nothing to give I have nothing to say I have nothing and I was like you're wrong Mm -hmm. 
you send your image to me of that breastfeeding moment. You've documented a minute in time, a cross-section, a, a snippet of the decisive moment in time of that mothering. You've shared it with me. I've shared it with the platform. People look at the platform. That gets shared onwards. And this visibility chain is very empowering. And then people can be immersed in these stories and be you know, looking at them, immersing themselves in it, and then maybe feeling empathy, maybe connecting. And through that visibility that, you know, I believe change can come. Uh, so so I think that's why I called it uh, the superpower, because, you know, social media, I've mentioned this as well, is sort of our our cave walls, we're the cavemen drawing on the cave walls. <laughs> this is what we're leaving. These are the new cave walls, right? Mm -hmm. So why should we not be the storytellers, the women and the mamas, whereas traditionally it would be the men, the photojournalists, men and the men in general going out, photographing out of the home? You know, why not can it can it not be women and looking introspectively, looking into the home like these peepholes worldwide you know why have we always looked down upon the home when it's such a key thing for us in life our home is everything our home life is so important to us yet it's so under documented so unseen somehow mm -hmm. it's so interesting I'm my head's bursting <laughs> with things I want to reflect back to I I love the way you spoke about the visibility chain um because that's where we do gather our strengths and and I think I really appreciated your description of uh the coming out of survival mode um you know think about it barefoot and pregnant was actually exactly where we were wanting to be held, right? So long way from that. And then this idea that I love that you talked about your man hat or you think of the three-piece suit. So it's like, okay, so so when women are then in a quote-unquote man's world, are we just mimicking them? Like, And then it's this whole evolution that is just so hard. And, and I think... Um, I've read so much uh, and and I start to um, blend my references. Uh, however, I know that one of the things that is more in the general uh, discussion, uh, the global conversation, and some people could point to Brene Brown for bringing vulnerability into our lexicon to the point of pulling it apart, um, and also seeing strength in vulnerability. I mean, not seeing, I'd say identifying and calling it out. Um, so it's really interesting to see what I mentioned is the drumbeat. I just, I think every now and then when I'm in that, um, journeying mode, there's times when I want to scream because when you see the clarity, there's a lot of feelings about it. Um, but what I love is my, my passion is to connect those dots so that I'm adding to that visibility chain. Um, I don't know if you were familiar with a concurrent pandemic uh, collective called the Journal Collective. That Yeah, I've seen it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which actually ended up 
being capped because that was a Facebook uh, outreach initially. And there was almost 500 responses within days. And that's when it's like, it's one woman. And at that point, two women, but both going like, okay, wait a second, like, let's cap this. But from that, um, they put together intergeographic groupings of women that it was just built and built on the collective aspect of it. So that what happened is the women started to, the visual storytellers met in small groups and then presented the work from the communities. Like it was so organic how they built this. And um, actually right uh, it was December of 21, I believe, um, I hosted a, a webinar of the Journal Collective and we were able to have people from six continents. We had five people on the call and one person that from Australia who taped it in because we just, thank God that wasn't in my hands. I never would have figured out all the time zones. It was like getting us all. Yeah. And it was wonderful. But these these collectivities and this connectivity is essential. I wanted to go back to one other point, um, which was about rebuilding an identity. It's like you talked about your artist self waking up. And there's so much about uh, what I've been reading. And I, I, I loved one woman's description of treating our art in a maternal way and a maternal relationship with our art. Um, I, there's one quote that I have, it's from Rachel Yoder, and it says, art seems essential, as essential as mothering. In order to be a self, it is essential. Uh, there was another woman, um, Chlorine Peters, who wrote uh, in Visualizing the Labor of Motherhood, it is, much, it is as much an occupation as an identity. So that's, I mean, the the thing with this book, with the I Mama book, is obviously translating it from the Instagram, which is in a way mute, except mm. for the language of photography, um, which makes it global, but also minimal on text. Mm. And that's my medium. You know, I always say I've got only my eye and heart. I have to use them well. Like mm. those are my tools. I'm a you know, I can talk, but I'm not a writer, essentially. I do eye work and heart mm -hmm. work. That's what I feel my work is at. And that's what I feel I'm good at. Recognizing, I called it like being a farmer, recognizing the ripe fruit of mama gaze and picking them, collecting them. It was nearly like low-hanging fruit, which hardly ever exists anymore these days. Something that felt so clear to me that I could see like x-ray vision, like a calling, but everyone else with these was either ignoring or or doing it too slowly or not or it wasn't collected in a big enough way for me to acknowledge and see obviously little pockets of motherhood books were happening like you say and book books with you know new fiction were coming out but I was in a way then looking to make the book that I was missing mm. the body of work that I was missing is what I set out to make which was this mama gaze anyone who identifies as mama and photographer looking into their own lives, their own motherhood, uh, introspectively and telling their own stories. So 
it's got a flavor, you know, it's got the light and dark, the menacing beauty, the fantasy of every day, the crops, the chaos, the love, the funniness, uh, the dark undercurrent, you know, all of these are things that I really felt passionately about that should be in this portfolio, like a serious portfolio that happens to look at the topic of motherhood. So not a group of moms on iPhones sharing motherhood, but rather a group of professional photographer women who happen to be mamas Mm. looking at motherhood as a serious topic in photography. Mm. And through the honey and the visual pleasure, being able to tell all the stories of hardship, of pain, of truths, of all those dualities. And something you touched on was really crucial as well, is that I think when you're in early days of motherhood, you're in a storm. I call it being in the forest, you know, mm-hmm. your head down to the wind, you're trying to get through your day to day. And it's very hard to share your stories then. It's very hard to do anything then. Mm-hmm. So whatever you it is you can do, whether it's take an image or write a story or just write an idea. And then other women have to empower these women who won't be very functional at that part point in time and I feel that that's why collectives maybe work better for women especially in the early years because everyone can only do a little bit or show a little bit because we are raising children we are holding families we are holding the fort or whether that's fathers or dads and this is not a project to say go and be a parent or a mama This is a project that says women should be able to choose and do whatever they want to do with their bodies and lives. Mm -hmm. I'm in no way endorsing motherhood. Mm -hmm. I love my motherhood, but it's also bloody hard and really complex with a work environment these days and survival. And, but what I'm saying is we need to shine a light on the work that is care and motherhood, just like we need to shine a light on anything else that is overlooked or unseen so that we can be a more just, fair society. You can't overlook huge groups in society and then feel that you're inclusive and fair and equal. It's never going to work. We all have to be seen and we all have to see each other. Otherwise, there's always going to be huge inequalities, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's in care, motherhood or anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so interesting because I, I, I actually... It, spread out when I'm thinking about the books that I'm going to talk to the creators with. And I came up with um, finding who I had not been aware of before, um, Pragya Argawal, who's written a few, several books, but one was Motherhood on the Choices of Being a Woman. And I love that the M of motherhood is in parentheses, giving you that otherhood. Um, and one of the things that I discovered with the, the United Nations Population Fund, as recent as 2021, gave a state of the world population report. And in it, half of the women from 57 developing countries do not have autonomy over their bodies in terms of health care, contraception, and sex. Wow astounding astounding and i i know i'm so glad the designing motherhood book and exhibition is traveling because i love that yeah i've got it myself and you know i had to delve deeply into motherhood books 
because I, I'm sort of more of a filmmaker in recent years. Mm -hmm. I co-direct films with my partners, Carney and Saul, and that's like my day job. And photography was the original thing I studied. Mm -hmm. I studied at the Batalel Academy of Art and Design in Israel and moved to the UK like 20 years ago. And, you know, I knew of books like Sally Mann, Eleanor Carucci Mother, Anna Cassas Broda, you know, the big more well-known books mm. and then I discovered uh, Home Truths and you know there's very few books on motherhood and care in general especially in photography but I had to delve into it and also collected of course books like Designing Motherhood and then uh, Mother Tongue magazine and also Rachel Yoder's Night Bitch which is quoted mm -hmm. in the end of the book mm -hmm. to me was a revelation because and it's now being made into a feature film yeah. I mean, comparing a mother to a dog, mm -hmm. talking of the feral side of motherhood, mm -hmm. the, the wild, uninhibited lunacy of motherhood is something that so often is overlooked, ignored, and, and just not spoken about. Mm -hmm. And yet you're ripped apart and, mm -hmm. and, and go through pain and, and physical journeys beyond belief as a human but all of this is kind of covered in this like little image of like pamper commercials and like, you know, all like very sterile and very like cozy and because it's very easy to look at it that way and very male gaze and very muted and quiet and shy and, and caring without any needs of your own. And mm. it's just so easy to look at it that way from the outside. And then uh, when you really look at it, you know, like as a dog, as like smells, as like blood, as like senses and, and what it really is, very feral, very animalistic. It is. And then Rachel Yoder's book blew my mind. And so I was like, I have to quote her. I have to put a quote in my book from Rachel Yoder. And I really pursued her. And we became kind of friends along the way through Instagram, as you do. Mm. And uh, because I was just like this fan of this like new way of looking, this undercurrent that I felt resonated with, with what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that's part of what I was filling the book with, you know, the essay by Clorinda Peters, the interview that I do with Alessia Gloviano, the forwards that we have with Annie Wang and Alessia and the quote by Sally Mann are all ways that I tried to give a flavor, but not, but not tell people what to think or feel because I really hate that. Mm -hmm. I actually really want people to feel or think whatever the hell they want to feel mm -hmm. or think. <laughs> I don't like talking down to a viewer, not in my film work, not in my photography work, not in curation. I really want them to, to connect to whatever it is they want to. As long as they feel something, I'm going to be happy, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's positive or negative. But I felt like these texts gave you a small insight into A, knowledge about the challenges of motherhood and care and visibility in the arts and the undercurrent that is motherhood and just give you a tiny bit of a flavor of what it is we're trying to do there and probably more ask questions rather than give answers, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is so nice in photography and in art in general that often you're just posing the questions, putting the questions out there and putting the visuals out there, the light and dark out there. And then the viewers and the, 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 People who connect with it have to do the work of what they feel about it, what their answers are, and they might be different from person to person. Mm 
Mm. you know and that's the beauty of art right because you see yourself in it it's a reflection of yourself as well and and so that uh we wanted it to be accessible mm. i wanted it to be accessible to everyone and and actually more so to people who weren't mothers or carers even because that's the work getting it to everywhere to everyone mm-hmm. uh, is nearly more important even than to the mothers themselves because mm-hmm. as mothers we connect and we feel seen and it gives us great comfort to see ourselves and our stories and other people's stories and you feel very uh strengthened by 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 connecting to other women's narratives and seeing you feel less alone. Sure. It makes you feel less alone and more held. But also when other people connect to this body of work, I think it can be very telling and very revealing and open up a whole new place where motherhood can be seen not necessarily just by mothers, you Absolutely. know, or parenting not just by parents and and including narratives that are not often seen, like IVF, miscarriage, abortion, adoption, same-sex marriage, non-binary, trans, every single narrative that can be and should be included uh, so that we don't make the same mistakes and overlook other groups within the groups, you know? Disability, Down syndrome, illness, you know, everything has to be included and seen, and that's a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. so many narratives within within this and, one bigger one. Yes, and I mean what you're talking about. Hold on, <laughs> it's it's again spanning this huge divide. In that, um, I love and agree the animalistic aspect, literally rupture, literally ripping. There is not uh, enough knowledge. I remember being very, very pregnant on set with a woman photographer and she said over lunch, she's like, let me just tell you everything people haven't told you. And she was the most honest person. I can remember talking to my sisters and friends after childbirth to say, wait, what? Like even in giving each other the knowledge. Um, I read something by another woman photographer, Nancy Borowick, who wrote on a platform that's postpartum.com, again, about sharing your birth stories, which I, all of our stories are valid. And, and I think too, again, about what you're mentioning is it takes a village. We need, I want that awareness shared across the board. I couldn't have raised my children without plenty of people in my life who are not parents that are integral to the life of my family. And so this idea, again, of like not having a hierarchical view being, as you said, and I really appreciate that, not making the same mistakes. Um, And again, raising the questions. Like we so give at answers. Um, And I think what's really interesting is this idea of women are in this bind of managing expectations. And and that's part of the pain of it. Um, Absolutely. They're unnecessary and untrue. And I hope that that is what we are uh, weeding out. (laughs) And, And just, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the off the table. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I feel from this book, it's really interesting. I thought naively that the more I went into the project, the more I collected the mama gays, and they are like 50,000 submissions to the project, like you said. Mm-hmm. We curated 200 of them into the book. I've seen a lot of motherhood, so much so, so that sometimes I need a palate cleanser. I need to look at some male gaze or like the male narrative because I'm like overloaded and overwhelmed with the mama narrative. But um, I have less answers now than I had at the beginning. I feel like actually it's opened this Pandora box of like, we have so many social structures and misconceptions and, and things that need to change. It's all interwoven into the structure of our society so that when we're actually meant to be talking about photography and art, we find ourselves talking about abortion and care and government and legislations because Mm -hmm. It's all interwoven into the fabric of how we run the country. Why isn't there free childcare? Why don't we get paid leave? Why isn't there equal pay? Why um, don't we have safe labor? Why can't we have autonomy over our bodies and decide if we want to have babies or not? Um, all of these things. Why aren't our workplaces encouraging us to come back to work and making it a possibility for us in early days? Why do we feel guilty and like we're failing so often? Like we're the most enabled women in history. We're really enabled on one level to work and to have children, but it's all a myth. It's all a fantasy because we feel like we're constantly failing at both. And in that, we're never satisfied and always feeling guilty or sad. There's so much mental stress and mental effects on women and mothers more than ever before. And that's unfair. Instead of feeling empowered, we're feeling in a way weaker than ever because we're juggling so much too much without the social structure to handle it yeah so we've like been handled this double whammy like here you go you've always wanted kids and work there you go you get it you got it go handle it now and we're like what hold on Uh, how do we do it and you're like all the balls are in the air you're juggling you're juggling all the balls are falling and you're like oh my god like you know uh how do I make this work? How am I going to be happy and thriving and not just working and a mother, but how am I going to be a thriving, working, happy mother and artist, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And You're bringing up that the personal is political and yeah. that we're getting caught in that. It's exactly what we un got to the point where um, when I was talking to Diana in Undo Motherhood, how challenging it was to actually ask women to reflect on regret. And the issue is that it was not the role of parenting. It wasn't the children. It was the complete lack, the idea that it is an occupation that is completely under served. It's not even recognized as an occupation. So um, yeah, there's so much to be done. But before 
I, I want, I, I wanted to give you a moment to talk too about the actual making of the book, the actual, like the relationships that you formed that made this possible because you, you know, you swam through it. And I completely agree that Pandora's box, that was me at midnight. I was literally still in literature at midnight. And and I texted a friend in California because it's, we've had these conversations of late and, and, and I was like, you know, it it was literally my texting her was the idea that you can just drown in some of this. And I'm so excited about all of the narratives we're gathering. And I have such a huge list of resources for this in terms of all the books. And I just want to basically like leave for the summer to some place that I can be by myself and read them all and look at them. There's just so much happening. I'm, I'm super excited about that, but tell us just a little about when you knew you needed to move this from Instagram, just a couple of those. And, and, and I mean, I get, I get so caught up and I appreciate the concept development, but there's things that are very specific, like how you used your son's handwriting to actually divide up the book. I mean, just those beautiful, beautiful creative choices, any of the ones you want to share. I'd love to hear that. Well, first of all, I think one thing I wanted to mention was the transition from Instagram. Instagram was the obvious place to collect these images. So when I thought I want to collect the mama gaze, I'd, I was familiar with Instagram. I have my own one for Carney and Soul for our film work. I'm not in love with it. I have a love-hate relationship with it and I'd never done a platform. But I knew it was a good place for a community and to collect the images on a very instinctive, immediate way in lockdown. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when images started coming in, so I'd start from like 10 women and then it grew and grew and grew organically and women referred other women and in lockdown it very quickly grew. Uh, and I think now we have something close to like 18,000 followers, uh, you know, within two years. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really just me, uh, you know, as a sole founder curator. So at first I befriended a lot of the women and there was a lot of intimacy. And obviously as it grows, you can have less and less of that because it gets slightly out of control. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the I Mama project, ironically, you have to sometimes sacrifice your own motherhood because the time that it takes up, the work that it takes up, that's unpaid work in itself, um, often takes over. So uh, then, uh, you know, there's a lot of censorship on Instagram to do with motherhood and breastfeeding, and we even got removed once. And I always dreamt of making a book. Um, I think in history, it's always nice and just general to have, uh, you know, a physical object that you can put on your shelf that you can delve into quite deeply. You're a fan of photo books, you know. Mm-hmm. You can look closely. You can really immerse yourself and hold it. And it, like the fact that it exists kind of makes it real and kind of confronts you with the reality much more than like a little square on Instagram that's very democratic and inclusive, but very tiny and kind of like you can pass it very quickly and you can't immerse as much. So, you know, so then I started with the book um, development. It took a long time because... Uh, You know, we were unfunded and uh, Alessia Gloviano, head of Photo Vogue, was helping me and giving me some support from the beginning because um, she really liked the project and she has her own platform, sorry, that I really admire. And um, then Rankin, a photographer from the UK, who's a very well-known photographer here, Rankin, 
um, saw the project and really loved it and connected me to the book publication, TenOS. And, you know, once I pitched the book to them and we started making it, they were like, well, um, first of all, I said to them, we have to do an open call because in transitioning from Instagram to the book, I wanted to include, first of all, a really great jury of I. So like nine women of I who I really admired that included Alessia Gloviano, Anaxas Broda, Eleanor Carucci, Yingang, Charlotte uh, Younger, um, Anna Tanaka, Sarah Lean, Aldeida Delgado. So there's the whole list of nine women because um, I wanted to share, I wanted to get other perspectives and other eyes on, not just my own, because it felt like a huge responsibility to say, this is really the first Mama Gay's book of this scope in history. I don't want to make a mistake. I, of course, I've got my very strong opinions and vision for it, but I also want to open it up mm-hmm. to other amazing women who have established themselves and not be like all selfish and like me, me, me and like, you know, so so I called them in, we did the open call and we did the long list together. And then I did the short list from the long list that we established together. Mm-hmm. And then the publication said to me, you know, you got to edit the book in some way, some order. You can't just put it in there like it is an Instagram. But I was really, really objecting to giving titles because I felt titles would do exactly the opposite of what I was trying to do, which is leave it open. And in a way, everything is like love, connection, you know, care. It felt too like generic and too like telling and too obvious. And I was trying to look for a more clever way to divide up the book. And then I thought, well, care is 24 hours a day. There is no break in care. There is no break in motherhood. If you're not mothering, you're worrying about mothering. If you're not worrying about mothering, you're worrying about whether, worrying about mothering. Mm-hmm. If you're not, you know, or you're recovering from worrying or you're recovering from mothering or, you know, all of these things. Definitely. And then and, and the neuroticness and the, the craziness and the sleepless nights and the blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, well, um, you know, and the routine and the boredom and the like, again, Lego, again, breakfast, again, nappies, again, breastfeeding and all the love and all the cuddles and all the joy, but all the pain and, the, and you know, and mon- mundaneness of it and the loneliness of it. And so uh, then I came up with this idea of doing sort of times of day and saying maybe it would be like morning and noon, afternoon, and then the witching hours, which are the bonkers hours that you wake up in the middle of the night. And I suffered a lot with insomnia and being awake with each of my kids for like a couple of years where I was really off my head with a lack of sleep. And it was really a form of torture. God bless their beautiful souls. And and then uh, I got my little kid who was five in lockdown, but I think when he wrote it was a little bit older to um, write the times of day in his kind of more childish heartfelt writing and I felt it put a bit of me in there that was more vulnerable and put a bit more imperfections in there because often photo books and galleries in general are very like cold Mm -hmm. kind of correct kind of proper high art establishment type Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. very clean and then the content of this motherhood is kind of beautiful but also chaotic and with imperfections and I wanted in a way the book to reflect how 
the organic side of it and like not be too aloof and removed and high art. And I really worked hard with Clorinda as well. And in general, to make sure the texts weren't alienating, to make sure they weren't high art Mm -hmm. in the sense that women wouldn't feel connected to them and wouldn't feel it spoke to them as well as being very intellectual and obviously thought provoking. Mm -hmm. So then we, you know, we did the times of day and, and I loved that. And then of course, you know, There was just the work of trying to get all the different narratives in, all the different, we had like 50, 60 countries and probably the same amount of narratives in the sense of what we mentioned before, Mm -hmm. IVF, child loss, abortion, same sex, single uh, parent, all of those different things that come up and trying to balance all of the joy with the sorrow. So not to have a heartbreaking book and not to have a joyous delusional book, you know, (laughs) not to be a Pampers commercial, not to be an influencer, not to be a TikTok mum with sick all over her, because it was none of those things. It was really, uh, you know, that kind of tapestry that I really was looking for. And so the balance was really key. And then also, of course, like with every photo book, the duos become really key. So then you start finding what works with what, what, what plays off each other, where things are similar and where they're different, you know, children on mother's heads kind of taking over their identity, thrown on them, Uh, you know, tigers inside soup, (laughs) mothers with cameras in a self-portrait pregnant or with children draped over them, (laughs) bits of bodies, crops. I'm a big fan of like all the little crops that make up the bigger picture together by like telling it through little details, you know, mm-hmm. often with your parent, you know, kids are on you. There's a close up. They're really close or they're far. Mm. That intensity and, you know, and all the menacing undercurrent of the dark and light. And so you, you it was really this very big responsibility I felt. And I was very ambitious to please myself first and foremost, like mm-hmm. to really want to love the portfolio and the work myself, to not let myself down. Mm. I had really high expectations from this and I knew what it could be. I saw the work and I didn't want to let the mamas down. I didn't want to let the I mamas down because they gave me their trust. You know, they gave me these images for free and in return, I give them visibility. Mm. Uh, There's never money exchanged either way and it's all on trust and connection for the vision and a community and, So I owe them a lot and, you know, in return, they gave me a lot of love back and there's a lot of great friendships that grew from this and, you know, that I'm grateful for Uh, and just grateful for the opportunity to be able to curate and make this and just see all of this work that I I really do love, that really moves me, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a superb portfolio uh, of women who are not often recognized, you know, mm-hmm. that work. I was delighted to be able to dip into it. And I can't wait to get my hands on a real coffee. Um, so I know the UK drop is May 8th. What about the US and elsewhere? I think the US is a month after or so, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if we have an exact date. Mm-hmm. But now we have an exact date for UK, which is the 8th of May. But you can pre-order everywhere online and that can be whether it's Amazon or bookshop that gives back money to 
independent bookstores, mm-hmm. you know, if people prefer that or um, you can get it nearly everywhere online. And um, but also, obviously, it's nice to come to like we've got three book launches at the moment in London and and Bristol and hopefully one in Arles. And then we're planning one in NY in uh, New York City as well. And then hopefully more. But um, you know, as yet we're we're working without sponsorship, so that's quite a juggle mm-hmm. to try and show up for these things. It's one thing to work at home in your downtime in your studio. It's another thing to start traveling and showing up for things and printing exhibitions. We've got one exhibition at the Royal Photographic Society in Bristol, and we got that in kind. So a lot of people show up for this, and the iMums show up for it as well. But I am really looking for someone to adopt the mama gaze mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. so that we can create this archive. I have a bigger vision mm-hmm. to make an ongoing archive where women could keep submitting and we could have an ongoing online platform that wasn't on Instagram, but rather online somewhere like a website or like a picture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly accumulated there to become a much bigger and evolving body of work that was curated, of course, because curation is everything as well, in a way, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that it still has that kind of flavor and a and a power to it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to you've got to do what you did, which was that editorial process and to honor the juxtaposition of of that storyline as well. I I could go on and and I know we have to wrap, but I was thinking um, the resources are all going to be uh, hyperlinked with our podcast. So in terms of ordering it, um, your linked tree for Mama Gaze, which has a sponsor button in terms of donations. Um, And then some of the um, books that I have been burying myself in that are tangential um, and any that you want to share with me uh, in addition to all the ones I've culled, um, I would love to put that together and I have to hear, uh, I would be more than happy to be part of, uh, shouting you out in New York. So we will, if, yeah, Amazing. totally. Absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of fans in the U S I would say that a lot of the followers, like the majority, uh, are Europe and USA are the other ones. And for obvious reasons, motherhood needs quite a bit of help in the USA right now, I'd oh say. Oh, my gosh. So, mm. uh, it's really timely. But one thing I did want to mention is at the back of the book, we did something that I'm a big fan of uh, in other books, which is we uh, curated a small book list. It's not yes. all-inclusive. It's not uh, It's not definitive, but mm-hmm. it's a list of all the books we could uh, cover that are photography on the topic of motherhood that we are aware of or that came to our attention. And so there's a whole page of motherhood books there at the end, which is like a nod to any woman who's managed to get mama gaze out there before us. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and I thank you. Thank you for mentioning it. And it was so interesting because, um, I, I'm going back into the fact that, um, I, did not know and and am now really interested in Nell Dore, who who I learned of because I was part of the 10 by 10 photo books reading room. And you just keep learning of our history that we're unaware of. And also um, Joe Spencer's book. Um, uh, Let me go back and 
the whole title, Family Snaps, The Meaning of Domestic Photography that Joe Spence did with Patricia Holland. Um, like there's, so we need to build this whole foundational structure and pull from uh, what has already been done that we may not be aware of, and we're all learning. Thank you for mentioning the book list. Um, you know, and isn't it Gloria Steinem who says, uh, we stand on the shoulders of women before us, you know? Absolutely. If we don't do that, who's going to do it for us? And I think the only way is to, you know, give visibility and celebrate each other's work and steps and advance instead of competing, which is probably the traditional way, yes. Uh, yes. rather uh, celebrating each other's works and each step is always a step forward and sideways and backwards. And, you know, I've seen so many incredible women that I've been exposed to slowly in amazing bodies of work, uh, you know, that have been collected. And I think you're right, like a bigger project needs to be made and there is this book um that i own about all the publications that are like um uh historical photo books by women uh mm -hmm. what they saw you know that's mm -hmm. an incredible that i think mm -hmm. you also covered and i did you know, all of this kind of work accumulates into us being more and more aware of the work and one thing i just want to tag quickly was Mm -hmm. A key point to, to the the I Mama book was that I also wanted to level the playing field a little bit. So what I didn't do was I didn't only take the superstars of photography and motherhood, which of course there aren't that many of to begin with. <laughs> and I'd ra rather I just said any photography that feels powerful and is made by a photographer who feels confident in her artistry and sees herself as a photographer, I will accept. I'm not gonna ask her if she's published or if she's shown. I'm not gonna ask for a CV. I'm gonna just build on the fact that I am moved or see her image as something important. And that's something that's not always seen, you know, it can be frowned upon by certain curators or galleries or traditional art establishments, you know, but I found that I prefer to find a diamond in a rough you know, uh, if we're quoting Aladdin, to finding the superstars that are easier to tap into or the women who are more well-known and don't need the help as much in a way. Like mm -hmm. I think finding all these women who have been overlooked systematically or for reasons that weren't up to them, mm -hmm. couldn't promote their work or whatever it was, you know, the motherhood penalty and all of that, I wanted to make up for that by kind of including them in this book as long as the images were, you know, powerful and stood up to the other work. So Absolutely. I think that's really key as well. I do too, because that is that is actualizing the idea of making the horizontal interconnectivity visible because as much as I love many of the people you mentioned um, and those that could become quote unquote household names, uh, that is part of the problem, <laughs> right? That there, it's yeah. it's it's again that orientation to good, better, best, and that you know those that are become familiar um, ride on that. And I don't um, deny that that's an amazing thing, and it's part of our visual culture conversation. But we are in this attempt to change that. And that means that it's not um, coming with the pedigree of, of, of some of the Kool-Aid, <laughs> so to speak. Absolutely. And you know what's interesting? If you look through the book, I think some of the unknown photographs stand out as much as the really well-known work from well-known photographers. So in a sense, um, I think the body of work proves itself in that way that 
you know, powerful work is powerful work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what matters. And the eye candy and the visual pleasure, once you give that, you can, you can dish out any story with that. And then the work is being done. And if it moves you, it moves you. And that's very personal, you know, and, and, and I think it always should remain that way. And we're all light hunters, you know, we're all following the light, searching for the light and looking for, you know, that pleasure and that storytelling as humans, it's in our DNA. Mm, I'm going to quote you on that, light hunters. Well, it was funny because I go back to something I will be thinking about in terms of what I, I, I mean, first of all, you you had me deep in rabbit holes and really, really expansive in who I want to follow on Instagram, actually. <laughs> that's It's huge. Um, but one of the things that I really am taking away, um, and I guess it's why I, at midnight, was so like, oh my gosh, I can't think of all these things at the same time. But I love what I came across. Again, um, Pragya Argwal, um, Argaral uh, wrote about this and we talked, we began our discussion with dichotomies, right? And it's like expectations, reality, um, the whole Madonna horror, like blah, blah, blah. We've got a million of them. But what I really love is she, she put out the premise of the idea of talk about flipping the narrative instead of the idea being, I think, therefore I am, I feel, therefore I am. On that note, (laughs) I am so happy to have this time. Congratulations. Next week is going to be, and the week after is going to be a blast. Enjoy all of it. Absolutely. And to be continued. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the time. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy the book and everyone else does too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Yeah. And you know what? Two seconds. We don't have to hop off. We can lop off the um, recording. But do you have any more specifics on New York or is it still in an idea? I mode? do. I do. But I'm mm-hmm. looking for sponsorship. So okay. in a way, um, it's come back to money. Funding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The project is never about it, but somehow can't, uh, you know, the, to go abroad is harder. So yeah. Um, there's a gallery called Thierry Goldberg in, I think it might be the West Village or, um, but it's a really nice gallery. Someone I know owns it and they want to showcase the Mama Gaze. They want to have an exhibition mm-hmm. and a book launch on the 13th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm looking for is someone to print the work in kind mm-hmm. and someone to sponsor the small amount of expenses that we have whether it's like for me to get to even New York, which mm-hmm. at the moment I don't know how I will do. And also, um, you know, just to like have some drinks or like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, or bring a, a chair if we do talks or whatever, all of those things. So we're looking for like a small sponsorship and an in-kind print. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, then basically it's a done deal because we have the space for free. It's a great gallery. They'll promote it. And uh, there's a woman called April who runs uh, or is one of the like the key people in Romper magazine mm-hmm. uh, online. And um, she said she would help as well. So it's like this big puzzle, you know, and I'm obviously better with a puzzle because I'm one person as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm more drawn to the curatorial and arty stuff. Often I neglect the other stuff, which is like, how the hell am I going to get funding? Totally, totally. So I really need someone to help. There's a few women who are like 
helping me trying to get that and I'm hoping somebody once the book is out I feel it's more tangible mm-hmm. and we might get that sponsor that we're looking for whether it's a monthly sponsorship or whether it's a little lump sum to get us through a few book launches but if you hear of any person who's maybe interesting in that or can connect us to someone I'm always like you know searching and I think as well the PR will lead to more PR so like yeah. you know we got interviewed by um or will be featured in the Wall Street Journal which is kind of an oddball mm-hmm. oh it's great way, right mm-hmm. and you know because you're expecting the Vogue L mother care you know romper but things that are actually more curveballs are interesting and then mm-hmm. you are doing mm-hmm. something so I feel like the more the word gets out there and the more the book is out there, we'll probably have more ability to access funds, you know, because it's tough times as well. You know, there's recession. Mm -hmm. It's easier to get stuff in kind, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to get hard cash, even in small amounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I got a small amount for the open call and for, you know, a graphic designer, but it's it's been a struggle. I totally understand. And here's the thing. I have done the Got Punctum on my own this entire time. I haven't been funded Crazy. at yeah. all. And that's what what I I mean, I have a very small team. I have a, a part-time assistant and I have a person who was my part-time assistant that still by nature of investment of her time and, and interest stays on. And I call it my team. And um and the fact is that I had to grow to um, substantiate the foundation underneath me. I was running, doing what I did. I stopped running a gallery and put this openly like non-geographic, which was really great, but I put myself in a million places. Then I had to pull back and say, I- I've got to get my foundation. Then I worked on that. And now with the podcast and what it's doing and how it's doing, I said to my little team this year, I'm like, draw a line in the sand. This is days of my, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to match it with my consulting, but this is like too many balls in the air. I need foundational funding. So I'm in the midst of that. And it does put me in touch with people. And I could very much, um, I'm not saying I have a magic wand, but I could say that I have those conversations open at the moment. And I would love to run with that. And if you could or would put me even in like into that circle of, of the New York launch and the gallery, uh, in terms of the in-kind for me, I would be happy to, um, be a part of the structural making it happen. I can see what I can do about funding. Um, and, and, Obviously, it would be great fun to curate if you had to take from the book. I would be all over that. And also maybe talks. Maybe we could have a I panel with totally, you. And, yeah, like, that is super easy yeah. to do. And then I'll leave you with this, which is hysterical, because we run on parallel paths that don't always intersect. But my husband has... He owns a printing. He is a fine art printer at Digital Silver Imaging. He prints for... You know, no. Dowd Bay, Sheila Prebright, no blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yes way. <laughs> wow. So, Lord Maybe. knows. He totally, I could pitch it. But um, 
Ooh, ooh, ooh. I just thought of a new sponsor. Okay. I'm on this. Oh my I'm God. I'm on it. Okay. That would be so incredible. I mean, if I could come to New York and then meet you and we could do something, uh, curate something, do talks and, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously once we have a platform, it's so nice to promote the podcast and the book and other women who come to talk. You know, it doesn't have to be a singular thing. It's mm-hmm. really saying we're trying to promote women in the arts, mothers in the arts, female gays, mama gays, and, um, yeah, I'm all over it. And that's amazing that uh, your husband partner is in yeah. printing as well. I mean, it's amazing. I got the in-kind printing in UK very quickly, but because I'm not NYC based, it's a lot harder for me. And Eleanor oh. Carucci gave me her people, but just even, I haven't even had the time to reach out to them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then explain who I am and then mm-hmm. pitch myself to them mm-hmm. and then explain the whole project. And then I'm like, I just don't have the time. I'm like launching the book. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, um, you know, I could send you like an overview. Have I sent you an overview email with all the info? I don't know if I did originally. I don't know. I don't think so. I might send you an overview as well so you could use that if you need to with a couple of articles and like an overview. Perfect. And like, you know, because sometimes the big names help as well, like the fact that Alessia Glaviano is in or like Eleanor Carucci. It helps open some doors often. Mm you know, and they're glad to help in that way. So, mm-hmm. um, and we could get Eleanor to the talks, you know. We exactly, could that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. She's up for it. She's a friend of mine from Israel mm-hmm. from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And she's fought to show visibility for motherhood forever. Absolutely. But of course, now she's moved on to menopause because her life has moved on. But she's not Thank God, because that's where I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm in both. I'm in both, I tell you. Well, actually, that happened for me at another point. We'll we'll dive in because my my mothering history is fascinating on some level because I had an extremely experience. But the one I'll just tell you about now is that my second was I turned 40. Um, I think I was 41. Anyway, it was this whole idea that I had like I went from breastfeeding to perimenopause with like a year and a half in between. Like me, I I was 41 when I had mine, my second. And I'm literally menopausal and my kid's still little and not sleeping. And you don't even know how to separate it. I don't even know what's going on. I still remember called my my primary and I said, I said, hi Karen, I just thought you'd want to know because like we'll keep our eye on it. But anyway, I'm starting to miss periods and I, I think it might be the beginning. And she calls me back and she goes, um, you need to take a pregnancy test. I almost threw up. It wasn't even on my flipping radar. I was like, wait, what? And it was a month. My husband and I were like, you get it, you get it, you get it. Then we got it. And then it's like, you do it. Like we were like a kids. It took oh us like, and I was like, are you flipping kidding me? And then I'm like, okay, not now what? And I just couldn't believe the spin of it all. Yeah. Yep. It's really crazy. And this is a whole other conversation, but you know, in lockdown, how many women lost their periods because we were in fight or flight mode. I saw a big body of work about how women lost their periods. They weren't procreating. They were in survival mode. Oh my God. Blow my mind. Blow. Insane. Our bodies know more than us. Completely. Completely. And if that doesn't like link the animalistic and the, like, I kept saying that I was interviewed at the beginning of the pandemic and my 
comment when we really didn't know what the hell was going on. It was April, May of that year. And I was like, this is an opportunity. This is going to shoot the shit out of any binary or silo we have. And the fact is that it didn't enough, right? I mean, it's going to take time to unpack, but I Lord know. knows. I know. Oh we're still gosh. digesting and it's still not quite over. And we're still like figuring out what to do. And obviously it's like, I think you have to, I think it takes, as long as the pandemic was, it takes to process the pandemic. Correct, correct. There is no way you're going to know what this meant until you're like three years post. Correct. And that means like everywhere has to be post because it, it's it's really something that has to, so many things happened and so many things changed. And, you know, it's it's really fascinating. And I think looking back in history, the one thing I'm so glad about being an artist and being an artist isn't always fun, right? Because we feel things and we're always poor and blah, blah, blah. But like, I was so glad that I knew in pandemic that it was going to be a story. Like I had this hindsight in advance. <laughs> I was like, if we survive the pandemic, either we'll die, right? There'll be no humanity, which is my Jewish mama side. Either we'll all die, right? Or it's going to be a story. And if it's a story, I want to tell it. I want to be part oh, of the good. telling. Yeah, yeah. Right? You and were like, my true. my son was literally a first responder. So, I mean, yeah. So he doesn't live with us. He's like out there, like in hazmat material. And, um, and like, it was just the whole thing was so mind blowing. But his comment was, we're part of history. He was like excited about that. He's wow. like, we're part. I'm like, wow, I'm glad you're seeing that. Cause it's like, I'll hang he on to anything. Because in a way it was for the generation under myself. I mean, I grew up in Israel, so I know a bit of war, but uh, there were no famines or wars for like the Western world. So this was like the first epic historical moment to experience. And that's scary, but also monumental. Yeah. The way that suddenly you can connect with like First World War, Second World War, you know, things that we couldn't or they couldn't connect with really because it was kind of too big. Like the, the millennials didn't know what it meant really. And then suddenly you're like, wow. Yeah now we know and like you know it feels like very big and kind of exciting in a dramatic but scary totally i'll let you know my prejudice and that's that the united states needed that because there's been nothing all of our um we export everything right so we've never had that like i always talk about the united states as an adolescent like basically we're more like toddlers but we be we we have this sense of invisibility invincibility sorry and this idea of telling everybody else what to do when we have no fucking clue nor have we done it it's like so up your ass sorry i swear when i get frustrated but no, you know I what know, i mean I know it's what like yeah. it is like hello yeah like wake up yeah yeah and what what about the uk like doing uh, having brexit before right before we need the rest of the world suddenly we're running out of cucumbers bread flour nappies formula it's like oh we need the rest of the world oh we can't be elitist in brexit and alone as like the monarchy with the queen and king and I'm like, well, good morning, um, you know, good morning, America, but it's actually good morning, UK. Okay. 
Yeah, well, they're best buddies because they liked thinking about things like that. And it's like such a wake-up call, but, you know, there's so much more to say about all of this, and I'm sure it's just like, I mean, it's fascinating as well, and and I think, you know, there's so much to say, and I'm just glad that at least me and you have made something out of, like, I hate the saying of, like, lemonade out of lemons, but maybe, like, lemon drizzle cake. like we've made something that's meaningful out of something that was monumental and that means we haven't wasted our time Mm -hmm. like if there's one thing I hate feeling is that I wasted my time being scared procrastinating not doing anything when I'm hurtling towards death Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's like my existential thing and I'm like well we might as well just do something uh and and our thing is art our thing is whatever we're doing now you know so 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 that I think also pandemic gave me a kick up the butt to look out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. you know and 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 try and do something like that so for that I am you know grateful Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate when you follow, rate, and review. We love hearing your feedback. I would like to share a recent review we received entitled Finger on the Pulse. Sibylla has her finger on the pulse of contemporary photography with each podcast spotlighting artists and books of note. Sib and her guests offer insight into the making of fascinating bodies of work and inspire listeners in the process. This podcast is a great resource and nod to photographic artists. Thank you, and we look forward to joining you next time.